Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. On a dry September morning in 1935, legendary driver Sir Malcolm Campbell sat in the cockpit of his famous 27-foot-long Bluebird. As black smoke poured out of the exhaust pipes of the Royal Blue Speed Wagon, Campbell gave a wave to the crowd that had gathered to see him drive one final time. Unable to hear their cheers over the deep rumble of the 36.7-liter V12 Rolls-Royce engine, he turned his attention to the 12 straight miles that sat in front of him. The most decorated and experienced straight-line speed driver at the time had never seen such a unique landscape before. Shaped by nature's hand, it was as flat as a frying pan, as smooth as a bathtub, and covered in several feet of dense weathered salt. It was the perfect location for his retirement party. Having broken the world land speed record eight times in his career, Campbell had come to the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah to seek one last record, to become the first person to drive 300 miles per hour on land. He had recently hit a career high of 276.8 miles per hour just six months earlier in Daytona Beach, Florida. Afterwards, fellow speed legend Ab Jenkins told Campbell that if he really wanted to reach 300 miles, he should ditch the sands of Florida and embrace the salt of Utah. So he obliged. While Campbell was there to break a record, he had no idea he was about to start a movement. Centuries before it would be coined the speed capital of the world, the Bonneville Salt Flats sat patiently waiting for human beings to catch onto its secret powers. Until 1914, 
there seemed to be little use for 40 square miles of uninhabitable land covered by 147 million tons of the salt found on most people's dinner tables. But once the modern day car was invented and organically integrated with humanity's curiosity for the impossible, the salt flats would become the go-to spot for speed. Sir Malcolm Campbell was running out of time. To pursue a land speed record, a driver must complete two attempts in one hour, and Campbell had just eight minutes left. He took off as a cloud of salty dust followed his bluebird into the endless white horizon. 100 miles per hour quickly turned into 200 mph and then 250. Campbell focused his attention on controlling his violently shaken car. So by the time he checked the speedometer again, he couldn't believe his eyes. He had reached 301.1 miles per hour, the first person to ever do it. This astonishing feat grasped the world's attention. What was once a secret was now widely known. The Bonneville Salt Flats were the fastest place on earth. How were the salt flats formed to begin with? Why are they so amazing for speed trials? And are they impervious to the effects of climate change? Today we'll find out. This is the Bonneville Salt Flats. You're doing Bonneville this year, right? Yes, in two weeks. In two weeks you're gonna drive at Bonneville? Yeah. You're licensed and everything? Well, We'll be getting my license. You okay. knew it was soon when he looked at his watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you driving? We have a quote unquote 32 Roadster. Uh -huh. uh, it's in the sea gas class, I want to say. We're running a, a Chevy engine. It's making, I want to say around four to 500 horsepower. I'm not well, exactly wow. sure. Uh, but yeah, we're trying to go 200 miles per hour. Not likely that we'll be able to do that this year because of just like, I have to get licensed. So that means mm -hmm. we're gonna be spending most of the week getting my licensing passes. So like 100 miles an hour, 130, 150, blah, blah, blah. And then then we can go for 200. So you, you need a license to drive 200? Yes. Yeah, they won't just let you show up and just go for it. Cause- Who, the salt police? The, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the salt police or the SCTA, the Southern California Timing Association that runs Bonneville Speed Week. Uh, it's very rigorous because, you know, they don't want people, one, you don't want people dying right. at this event because then that'll draw scrutiny, of course. I don't know. Racing was better when everyone died. All <laughs> yeah, the time. yeah. When everyone died better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so looking forward to it. So um, your dad, Scott, me and Joe's best friend, yes. built a car and he's going to put his son in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool ass dad. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool ass dad. I love Scott. Shout hey, Scott. To Scott. <laughs> so yeah, that should be fun. It'll um, be really also, hot. Also, a little tidbit. Uh the shop that helped build your engine is the same shop that my homie Chachi goes to. And Chachi is the person I bought my first car in LA from. Weird uh oh. weird little connection. All yeah. weird. Awesome. But he, so the shop that he took his 242 to get ITBs uh -huh. on his L20 or L24, mm -hmm. uh, was he, while he was there, I don't know, somehow struck up a conversation. Oh, interesting. And they were like, yeah, we're building a, a, an engine for Nolan from Donuts. Whoa. Car. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Tascadero. Tascadero, baby. Tascadero. I'm going up there this weekend actually to, uh, I, I got to bring my fire suit again. We're going to do like last checks on like fitment, driver fitment, me fitting in the car. Yeah. And it, uh, like making sure all the controls are like dialed in, that I can reach them. This has kind of been in the works for years now. We got the car from our friend Dean who passed away a few years ago. 
um, we started, or my dad started working on the car before Dean passed away. And this, um, this car in particular, like Dean had run out at the Salt Flats uh, with our crew chief, Smokey, Smokey Allerman. And Smokey's been helping us again uh, this time around. So it's kind of like a tribute to Dean. And um, also, my dad's always wanted to run out at Bonneville. His cousin, Jeff, uh, had a Bonneville car that he's been running for years now. So it'll be like a cool kind of like Sykes thing to go out there. Yeah. yeah. I love cool Sykes things. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the, the closer we get to it, the more of like the reality of it setting in is like, Oh, we're going to be one out in the salt for like a week. Yeah. yeah in, in August, August it's going to be hot as hot as bring hot as some balls. Jergens, dude, please, some please jergens. bring some Jergens. Yeah. Please SPF up. I will SPF please up. Hydrate. hydrate, please. I gotta, I'm going to bring just all long sleeve shirts really. And That's just remember idea. that you and Scott love each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And even if you don't hit 200 miles per hour. Still your dad, still going to love yeah, you. Yeah, don't kick a stool at him, please. I, I won't. I'm going right. to be chill. Cool. Um, Yeah, it's going to be gnarly. It's also, it's like, it's a live live, live range out there, you know? Yeah, it's very cool. Stuff can happen, you know? Bonneville Soft Flats are one of the coolest things in motorsports, Yeah, I think. Um, And I'm really excited to dig in today. Yes. My name is Nolan. I'm joined by my co-hosts, James Pumphrey. Give me back my son! And Joe Weber. Salt off of slime's back. <laughs> and this is past gas. This week we're talking about Bonneville Salt Flats. Um, yeah, man, this is where all the speed records these days are set. Uh, there's some other there's some other places you can go really fast, like El Mirage. That's kind of the only one I know that's not Bonneville. But Bonneville, where's, yeah. Where's uh, El Mirage? Uh, that's in Southern California, like deep in the Mojave Desert. Yeah, it's a dry lake bed as well, but it's all dirt. It's not salt. So it's a bit of a different experience. Um, we're going to get, be getting some salt fever, baby, this week. Going to be feeling the crunch of salt under our toes as we dive into the history of not only the speed records, but the place itself. Let us know if you guys want us to build a boat and set the speed record on the Salton Sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been a dream of ours. Yeah. <laughs> Can we hit 200 miles per hour before our boat disintegrates into Dude, the chemicals. You can have your you can have your water sea re- sea records. I don't I don't want to know. I, I love, love the sea. The I've been sea. going to the beach every day. You going to go twice again this weekend? Yup. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Out past the break. Yeah. Oh yeah, October 22nd. October 22nd, I'm going to swim around the Venice Pier. <laughs> so, if you want to see that, show up. No one will be providing I'll refreshments. Be there. Yeah. Just don't get slammed uh, into those barnacle posts. But August twenty or October twenty second, me yep. James Pumphrey will swim around the Venice Pier. So if you <laughs> we'll want to see that, we'll have more details for that as the date approaches. Yeah, but, uh, we'll have yeah. exclusive merch. James is training. The water is going to be so cold. No, uh, October, October is so hot in LA. Yeah, but it's like one twenty. The Pacific Ocean is not just LA though. It's true. Whoa, it's got you there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll get you. We'll get you a rash guard, James. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing that record. October 22nd, live music, uh, <laughs> exclusive merch, face painting, re- face painting refreshments provided by Nolan Sykes. Right. It's going to be a time and a half. Uh, October it's free 22nd, to show free up to, to the, everybody. Yeah, show up to the beach. Byob. Just RSVP on Eventbrite before yeah, you do but that. But I'm going to swim around the Venice Pier October 22nd. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. All right, 
Um, let's get into the story. This is like a joke that we make, like when we did the Hell's Angels episode. We're like, before you understand motorcycles, <laughs> you have to understand the bicycle. Okay, look. Just read the opening line of this. <laughs> Around 16,800 years ago, <laughs> in America's Great Basin, there is a body of salt water as large as Lake Michigan. It took up almost the entirety of western Utah. But something strange happened to the Pluvial Lake. A sudden event, one that still has scientists stumped, caused the lake to drain into southern Idaho. That is crazy that it happened. That's pretty... That's pretty... pretty I guess, recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As far as, like, Earth history goes... Yeah. That is like, actually very it's recent. It's pretty recent. What was left of I the great... I was still doing improv. <laughs> <laughs> What was left was the Great Salt Lake in the east and 96,000 acres of hard-crusted potassium, magnesium, lithium, and sodium chloride, a.k.a. table salt, in the west. Over time, nature's steamroller, a mixture of water and wind, slowly shaped the surface into a perfectly flat layer of salt crystals. The geological miracle became remarkably diverse and rich with microenvironments. For example, there were desolate areas in the center where the thick salt made it impossible for plants and wildlife to thrive. But the outer edges had ponds and wet marshes with vast amounts of life. Through the course of human history... Salt life. Salt life. <laughs> I thought it was a mistake in the script. That's great. Through the course of human history, many different kinds of peoples had settled and explored near the area. There's evidence that indigenous peoples adapted to live close to the flats around 10,000 years ago. However, more recently, it was explored by a group of mountain men led by Jim Bridger in 1824 and again by Captain John C. Fremont in 1845. The following year, the Bonneville Salt Flats would have its first brush with fame. Captain? Is he just, like, making them drag a boat through You this? can be a land captain. <laughs> he can be a land captain. Yeah, land captain. Land captain, like a, what, like an army guy? That's what I'm going to name my son. Captain? Land Captain Pumphrey. Well, that's okay. like Jason Lee, star, star, like, named his son Star Captain or something like that. Oh, pilot. Really? Oh, Star Pilot, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to name my son Land. <laughs> land. <laughs> his middle name's going to be Captain. Land Captain. You can I'm name a- him Landon. No, just land. <laughs> I'm going to live in Venice. Yeah. <laughs> After following Fremont's path, a 23-year-old Lansford Hastings, another early explorer, came to the conclusion that the flats were a perfect shortcut to California. Later that year, the Hastings Cutoff, as it became known, would play a critical role in the infamous Donner Party tragedy. Despite having never been tested before, the Donner Party decided to take the newly discovered shortcut. Uh, to learn more about the Donner Party, last podcast on the left Check has a really, really, out. really great oh, nice. uh, Excellent. episode on Very that. good. Shout out to Last Pod. Last Pod. They lost four wagons and oxen in the marshes on the outskirts of the flats. This set them back an entire month. That month-long delay would prove to be very deadly. By the time they arrived in the Sierra Nevada mountains, winter was beginning, and the rest is history. They talk ate about each other. human bacon. They for all ate. Well, first they ate their shoes, and then they ate each other, and uh, pretty gross. But pretty bad because they went through the salt flats, well seasoned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine eating a shoe that's been walking through mm. the salt flats. Oh, Yum. Yummy, yummy. <laughs> It wasn't until 1896 when the Bonneville Salt Flats, named after U.S. officer Benjamin Bonneville, would reveal to the world its modern purpose. See, this is what I have. This is my big problem with history is like 
there's probably some indigenous name that's you know this is a sacred space for it whatever they oh yeah i'm sure this is like a very holy spot like it's so unique and cool yeah. and like it's made out of salt and i'm sure this guy that's not even the first yeah, you yeah. know white explorer comes in he's <laughs> yeah. like oh this is the bonneville salt flats now yeah. While scouting the area for a bicycle race from New York okay. to San Francisco, <laughs> this guy. cyclist William D. Rischel was astounded by how flat the land was. His bicycle skated along the smooth salt with such ease that he'd return later to drive a car on it. This guy's a stepdad. I don't even have to steer my penny farthing. <laughs> Years after he discovered the Salt Flats' unique circumstances, Rischel had a revelation. What if an actual professional driver used the flats to drive as fast as possible? Could it even hold the weight of a car? Would it make it go faster? <laughs> to get the answers, Rischel would need to find a driver. The ideal candidate would need to be somebody with an immense amount of courage. Unlike today, cars back then were dangerously unstable. Still in their infancy and without things like power steering or automatic brakes, these cars were predictably hard to control and hard to stop. Is the is, I'm guessing that the Pontiac Bonneville was named after mm -hmm. the flats. Probably. I mean, there's a lot of things like the Triumph Bonneville motorcycle yeah. named after this. Pontiac Bonneville. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde. No. <laughs> that was a that was a stretch. I'm not I'm not sure of the veracity of that. But a lot of things, yeah. Uh, again, last podcast on the left, great Bonnie and Clyde series. Check it out. Apparently, uh, they didn't fuck. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So, like, anytime a couple's like, babe, we're like Bonnie and Clyde, it's like, oh, you can't get your dick hard. <laughs> Is that why they didn't fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Did he need to, like, rob Banks to get his dick hard? No, they were really bad at robbing Banks, too. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, the one thing he was good at was driving. Oh. He was, like, a really good driver. Why are they so famous? Because they were young and cool. And hot. Yeah, and hot. They are both hot. They were like Machine Gun Kelly and <laughs> Megan Fox. Truly. I'm not sure if they bone, honestly. Hmm. I think Machine Gun Kelly is the lamest person alive. <laughs> yeah. Which makes it likely that, that they he's don't great bone. at sex. Yeah, he probably oh, has a big old true. hard rod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. 
Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. All right. In 1914, in 1914, Rischel, who had become the sports editor for the Salt Lake Herald, organized a racing event at the Flats. He reached out to one of the drivers he knew from articles he wrote on racing, one Teddy Tetzlaff, or Terrible Teddy. Ooh, I love that name. A yeah. nickname the driver earned for how hard he pushed the cars to their limits. Teddy, you're terrible when you drive. You push everything <laughs> to the limits. <laughs> this guy was easy to convince. Aside from being a race car driver who competed in the first few Indianapolis 500 events, he was also a professional daredevil. Terrible Teddy rarely turned down a risky adventure. While driving the Blitzen Benz 2, a four-cylinder 21.7 liter cone shaped car. God. What? Dude, it's like coffee can. But four cylinders. But like bigger. Like the pistons are thick. Like yeah, like yeah. huge. Yeah. So each one is like five and some like change. manhole covers. Five yeah. liter cylinders. Damn. Whoa. Whoa that's a, that thing must have sounded really good. Cool. Dude, that's like one Fago and one Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible Teddy drove the car to hit an unofficial world record of 141.73 miles per hour. This speed is pedestrian by today's standards, but at the time, this would have been considered impossible. You know, that fast. Uh, I drove that fast on the way to work. Whoa, dude. Where? Sepulveda? <laughs> Salt Flats. Um, <laughs> I, so I had a, when you were reading the intro, they didn't have like radar guns back then. Mm -mm. So how. You got a time. Between the oh, two time. Yeah. Okay. Math. Math. You got to do math. A simple maths. They had maths. Einstein there with his chalkboard. <laughs> yeah, like they did. <laughs> the reason that they started doing uh, records is because Einstein was born. <laughs> 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 it's like they were like, they did horse stuff when yeah. Isaac Newton was alive and then he died. Yeah. And then. Oh, a horse is falling because he did the gravity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, how fast can a horse fall? <laughs> on assault, and then he died, and they were like, "Well, we don't know what to do now." And then Einstein was born, and they were like, "Oh, cool, you should do this again." <laughs> so, what is it about the Bonneville Salt Flats that make it so fruitful for speed? Well, to start, they're one of the flattest places on Earth. Mm -hmm. So flat, in fact, that one can actually see the curvature of the Earth. Whoa! 
If the goal is speed, then it's advantageous to not fight against gravity. The salt flats are also insanely smooth. There are, there are a few divots, bumps, or holes that could spell doom for a driver. The flats are 12 miles long, which give a vehicle plenty of room to accelerate to peak speeds, as well as enough time and space to eventually stop, which is very important. And if there's one fault in the flats, it's stopping. The smooth surface doesn't provide the same traction as asphalt, so cars often skid for several miles before coming to a standstill. I've heard, it, descri I've heard it described that's more like driving on ice, the feel oh, well. of it. Whoa. Yeah. Because um, it's like dusty. Yeah, it's very, it's like a fine layer of salt on top. Yeah. yeah you're really just sliding around. And uh, the, you know, you're not launching from a standstill like mm -hmm. you do in drag racing. You, you're supposed to take like the first mile or so to get up to speed because otherwise mm -hmm. you're going to be spinning your tires and ruining, ruining your tires, but also ruining your, your chance of going as fast. Are there special tires that you need? Um, they're, uh, yeah, I mean, there's like salt flat tires. They're very skinny. Um, it's not like drag tires again because you're not launching, so you don't need a yeah. lot of grip uh -huh. from a standstill. Um, but also, yeah. they need to be narrow enough so they don't like get bogged down. Yeah, you yeah. don't want like hydroplane yeah. or so, saltroplane. I think they're about, I want to say, definitely skinnier than my computer here. I think ours are about like this wide, which is about it's about ten inches. They're like BMW uh, probably like I eight to ten tires. inches. I want to say wide. Well, yeah. and slicks. They're slicks. Yeah, they, they have some grooves in them, but, mm -hmm. like, they're they're more like slicks, yeah. Think of, like, the front tires on a drag car, like, slicks like that, yeah. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, there's a thread of moisture that likely kisses the surface of the hard salt. This prevents the tires from overheating at high speeds and a significant problem when driving on other planes like sand. Hmm, interesting. Put all these ingredients together, and you get a speed stew for hungry drivers around the world to dine on. Do they, do they spray it or is it a natural no, just, there, there's, moisture? It's like dew. I think we'll, we're going to get into it a little later, but there is moisture in the salt um, underneath. Uh, there's like the it's layer like ground, of salt and then there's, you know, bedrock or the soil. Water. under. Un, there, there's groundwater yeah. underneath uh, the salt. I think that's where that comes from. Um We'll get into it later, and uh, they're trying to mine that moisture. There's something underneath the salt that's more valuable than the oh, salt. Oh, probably lithium. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. And what Joe said. Lithium. Yeah. Oh, for batteries? That's what's destroying mm. the salt flats in, uh, was it Chile? Mm. We're mining them? Yeah, for uh, batteries. I'm going to get those tasty dinosaur eggs. <laughs> yeah. It's like a Dutch, what is that? Not Dutch egg. Century egg? Oh, scotch egg. egg. Scotch egg. No, scotch egg is a hard-boiled egg wrapped in sausage and fried. It's a delicious. century egg is one that's buried? Yeah. A century egg is, or a tea egg is, uh, yeah, it's like an old-ass egg. Fermented. I'm. Both are delicious. Have you had <laughs> never had one. Yeah. No way. It's not actually a hundred years old. Was it, all, was it some, at one point? No. I mean. They're like three months old. Oh, that's still so old. Yeah. It's like a pickle. Where'd you get it? Oh, a fancy restaurant. Yeah. I used to go to a lot of like prefixed menu dinners. Mm. I love those. You don't have to think about anything. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the main benefit. I just turn off and gobble up. <laughs> turn into non gobble up. <laughs> 
After terrible Teddy Tetzlaff's historic drive in 1914, it would take many years before other drivers would make the trek to western Utah. Year after year, record chasers bounced back and forth between more traditional driving locales in Europe and Daytona Beach. That is until Utah's own Ab Jenkins decided to make the flats his personal speedway. Intrigued by both speed and endurance, Ab Jenkins wanted to go as fast as possible for as long as possible. Don't we all? <laughs> During the late 20s and I'm not, here, early- <laughs> I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. But I'm not having any fun. <laughs> <laughs> During the late 20s and early 30s, Jenkins used the salt flats as a playground to test the limits of his body, as well as his famous 21-foot-long car known as the Mormon Meteor. Why did you say his body like that? I don't know. It was funny. The Mormon <laughs> Meteor was unique in that it had the chassis of a 1935 Duesenberg Model J. Mr. J, modified to hold a V-12 Curtis Conqueror aircraft engine. The chassis was durable for long distances, and the Conqueror engine pumped out 400 horsepower. Whoa, during Jenkins, the early 30s? That's yeah. a lot. Jenkins reached global acclaim after driving on the flats for a world record of 25 and a half hours, with an average speed of 135.57 miles per hour. Jenkins drove for so long that towards the end, he had to shave so he looked fresh at the finish line. Oh, my line. God. This he didn't is have so to. old time. He didn't yeah. have to do that. Dude, I'm telling you, I used to hang out with a bunch of Mormon kids, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't get fucked up, but they would, like, climb, like, light poles and shit. Yeah. Like, they're gnarly. <laughs> 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 like, jump off of fire escapes. <laughs> they probably did that thing where, like, you squat and they make you pass out. No. No? They were mostly acrobatics. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Parkour. After spending so much time driving at Bonneville, Jenkins felt it was sinful to keep all that to himself. He knew other drivers could be taken advantage of its superpowers. So he reached out to the GOAT of land speed records, Sir Malcolm Campbell. Um, sorry, GOAT, can I ask you a question? (laughs) Oh, uh, are you busy making soup? (laughs) (laughs) Campbell was already world famous, having broken eight land speed records between 1924 and 1935. The majority of his records were set at Daytona Beach. Despite having such an illustrious career <laughs> illustrious career as a land driver, Campbell was ready to retire and take his talents to the water. But before he did, there was still one last notch he was desperate to put on his belt. He wanted to go 300 miles per hour. After learning of the flats from Ab Jenkins, he decided to do one more attempt. So on September 3rd, 1935, in front of 1,000 spectators, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people in 1935. Yeah. To come out to like a barren salt flat. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. Campbell hit 301 miles per hour twice. Not only did Campbell set a new record, but all eyes in the speed world officially turned to the Bonneville salt flats. Would you consider us in the speed world? No. We don't, we haven't made a race car yet. We've made like drift cars. Hmm. I think we're in the speed world. If Nolan goes 200 miles an hour, we're officially in the speed world. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a lot of pressure. Bring us into the speed world. Yeah, Nolan. please I take us to. into the speed I world. I want my goals, I like in my life, I want to go 200, of course, but I want to go 300. I want to go 300. Yeah, me yeah. too. I want to go 300 and I want to race at Daytona. I'm racing at Bristol. You are? Mm hmm. I just got an email about it. Nice. Yeah. What'd it say? You're racing it's a Bristol. practice day on August 9th. I might go out there and oh, yeah. oh, nice. you should come with me. I'll be at Bonneville. Whoa. Dude, we're in the speed world. I'm going to be uh, at Bristol. <laughs> You're going to be at Bonneville? 
Where am I going to be? You come. Someone needs to come with me because no one's mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> so no one's mean to you? Wait. wait like, we're wait. not dropping you off at kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> I've built a very protected environment for myself over the past six years. Um, I don't like leaving my nest. So I, do, I do need some support in whatever I do. The flats became the speed mecca of the world overnight. And for the next 80 years, people from all over the world would trek to western Utah to test out RPMs on anything from a family vehicle to a sports car to custom-built speed rocket things that don't have doors. And also, every race car driver started praying towards uh, Utah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. at dusk, the saltiest time of the day. Technological advancements in the early 1960s introduced a new variable in the equation for land speed. The Afrons brothers... Art and Walt, as well as rival Craig Breedlove, had separately figured out a way to attach a jet engine to a vehicle. The fellow pioneers in the next evolution of going really fast also became intense competitors, fighting to put their names at the top of the record books. Breedlove drove the Spirit of America, which was a three-wheeled, narrow vehicle with an F-86 uh, Sabre jet engine in the back that needed multiple parachutes to stop. This is a plane without wings. Basically, yeah. Isn't that sick? Yeah. That's oh, so cool. Uh, Art Afrons used a top-secret jet engine made by General Motors for the F-104 fighter to power his famously unsightly-looking green monster car. That thing's dope, too. Can't tell it's green, though. It's in black and white. Yeah, it looks like a jet engine with wheels. That's so sick. It looks it's like a, a wiener. <laughs> what? <laughs> it looks like a Peter Griffin's wiener car. <laughs> During a 13-month span in the mid-60s, Breedlove and Afrons passed the world record for land speed back and forth to each other. How polite. Their powerful jet engines were regularly hitting over 500 miles oh per hour. Oh, God, in the 60s? And as much as fun that may sound in theory, it was also an emotionally grueling process and probably it very terrifying. It doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they were so mean to their wives. Uh, <laughs> aside from the potential danger of crashing or having a jet engine explode while sitting on top of it, the setting of the salt flats themselves often felt unnerving. Afrin's once explained, You feel all alone when you're on the salt. You look down at that emptiness and it's just eerie as hell. It makes me uneasy. <laughs> uh, he sounds like Orville Peck a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, like, that's an audio recording from back in the day. <laughs> I'm ready to like look into the void out on the salt. Dude, I'm so stoked for you. I'm going to go to, while you're at the salt, I'm going to be at Bristol, yeah. and I got a target on my back. I think someone's going to put me in the wall. You better fight back, James. Yeah, I better. I almost called you Jeff for some reason. <laughs> no, that's my, that's my race car yeah. driver name. Yeah. Jeff. Race car Jeff. Jeff Pumphrey. <laughs> El Jefe. Jeff Race Car Pumphrey. Jeff F. Pumphrey. <laughs> James, you got to fight out there, dude. Three Don't take row. shit from anybody, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, listener, I'm... Racing uh, on August 4th at Bristol. Uh, no, September 4th. September 4th at Bristol in the, the Bristol 1000 with uh, Cletus McFarland and a bunch of other YouTubers. Some Crown Vicks. In some Crown Vicks. My number is going to be 7 million. And I think that uh, I think I'm going to die. No, don't say that. Yeah, I'm going to earn heart. Don't put that out. Uh, you, no. you guys are going to be going like 60 miles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Amelia Earnhardt. 
<laughs> yeah, he just drove off and no one ever saw him again. <laughs> yeah, this is your chance to take a very long vacation. Yeah, I can't wait. When the rivalry finally fizzled out at the end of 1965, it was Breedlove who would end up the winner. Not only did he have five land speed records to Afron's three, but on November 15th, 1965, he would be the first ever to hit the coveted milestone of 600 what? miles per hour. Okay. For comparison, <laughs> for comparison, today's most popular passenger jet, the 737, has a maximum speed of 544. Yeah, but that's a big honker. Yeah, but it also flies. Yeah, it's on, not on the ground. Yeah, I'm Breed saying there's other planes that go over 600 miles per hour. Well, let's yeah. not get caught up in the details here, They Joe. don't go on the ground either. Can you imagine <laughs> going 600 miles per hour with like... That's yeah, insane. that's true. Breedlove's legacy stands strong as the first person on Earth to travel both 500 and 600 miles per hour on land. Wow. Jeez. That's so fast. That's, that's, that's like, so fast, dude. <laughs> that's so fast, it's like... Yeah, it's like that. It's that fast. Like you'd go like cross, like like, <laughs> like you go so fast that like your pupils start going outwards. Right, like your perspective yeah. would just be like so foreign. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine what the world looks like going 600 miles per hour. You have to there. focus like a mile in the distance. I can only run like 35 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to put wow. that in perspective. That's like, yeah. Faster than Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I'm faster than him. Shortly thereafter, in 1970, Gary Gablek would shatter Breedlove's record at the flats. He reached a screaming 630.388 miles per hour, setting a new world record that would hold for almost 13 years. At this point, a whopping 17 world records had been broken at the Bonneville Salt Flats, cementing it as the best place to go fast in the country, if not the world. I think Daytona would be so much scarier because it's sand that is yeah. wild yeah. yeah we'll get back to more past gas but right now a word from our sponsors the bonneville salt flats which have been beloved by speedsters and tourists for decades are rapidly changing to be more specific it's withering away what was once 96,000 acres or 150 square miles of compacted white salt is now only 30,000 acres or roughly 48 square miles. That's a third. In 1960, the famous speedway was multiple feet deep. But as of May 2021, the thickness is now down to a quarter of an inch. Oh, my God. The salt, which used to be as hard as concrete, can easily be punctured. Oh, that's, uh, that's reassuring. <laughs> Have fun, buddy. <laughs> yeah. 90% of the surface of the flats are made of regular old table salt, but it's also chock full of another valuable mineral called potash. Potash is a potassium-rich salt that makes for an effective fertilizer to help plants grow strong and disease-free. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the demand in the agricultural industry has grown significantly over the years. Man, use something else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I got plenty of potash in my apartment. Yeah, I got mine. a ton. Just hit me up. I got a ton of potash. Yeah. Oh. I got a bunch in my car. I knock my bubbler out. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> the first extraction of potash on the flats started in 1917 during the First World War. Oh, wow. For years, the U.S. had gotten its potash from Germany. But with the two countries at war, the U.S. had to find an alternate source. After the war ended, the U.S. stopped extracting the flats potash until World War II, 
Germany acted up again, made it necessary once more. The government had been the first to drill in the salt flats, but eventually opened up the opportunity for for-profit companies to take the mm -hmm. wheel. In 1963, a private company called Bonneville LTD leased 25,000 acres from the Bureau of Land Management. This began a decades-long campaign to drill baby drill. Woo! Drill baby drill! <laughs> for thousands of years, human beings had little use for the Bonneville salt flats, yet suddenly in a short period of time, it had two. Driving real fast and mineral extraction. And one of those is going to outlast the other. I'm trying to get this new catchphrase uh, going. Frack, lassie, frack. Oh. That's it, cool. Does it sound pretty cool? Yeah. Frack and lassie? It's kind of cool. J Jeff F. Pumphrey. <laughs> Jefferson F. Pumphrey. J Jeff Frank Pumphrey. <laughs> <laughs> Junior. Jeffrey. Jeffrey Pumphrey Jr. <laughs> Jeff Frank Pumphrey Jr. <laughs> Jeff F. Jeff F. Jr. <laughs> uh, maybe Jethro. Jethro. Jethro F. Pumphrey. Jethro, Jeff. Jethro Jake Pumphrey. Jeff F. Efron. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff F. Efron. <laughs> Over the course of the next 50 years, five different companies would stake claims on various parts of the flats. The profits from mining the potash would come pouring in, exceeding $106 million in 2020 alone. Shoot. I made more than that. <laughs> These companies have also contributed over $1 billion to the Utah economy. Mm. This kind of money made it difficult to see, yet alone care about, the long-term geological consequences. At the very minimum, one-third of the loss in the flats can be contributed directly to the extraction of minerals. Okay, well. I wonder what uh, Mitt Romney has to say about that. I wonder what Mitt Romney and his dumb sons have to say about this. <laughs> Salt flats as we know them are slipping away. The high demand of the shrinking flats have become an unsustainable contradiction. While the companies make millions of dollars, the rest of the world watches on as one of the greatest natural wonders and the speed capital of the world become more unrecognizable each year. Yeah, man. That's, that's but it's sad. not just the speed community that is set to lose something valuable. With thick salt no longer covering the dirt below it, the Bonneville Basin has become the biggest source for dust in the region. When winds pick up the dust, this lowers the quality of breathable air. Moreover, the widespread dust also contributes to quick snow melt in the Wasatch Mountains, which is the main source of water for 2 million mm. people. Basically, snow that melts too soon leaves less water for the area to utilize. Experts worry that if the salt flats disappear, it's entirely possible that the region could become riddled with droughts and air so dirty that it's uninhabitable for people. You know, uh, in Yellowstone National Park, uh -huh. there was an overpopulation of deer because right. coyotes had been... Overhunted. Wolves. Wolves. wolves had been overhunted. Thank you. Once wolves were reintroduced into the area, mm -hmm. the deer population started going down. Yeah. They started eating less foliage. Yeah. Less plants. Yeah. And over the course of several years, the rivers actually started running in different directions because the deer had been uh, opening up new pathways, right? Yeah. This is kind of like a case of that happening where it's like, hey, we got to get that sweet, sweet potash. But, oh, no, now 2 million people are going to have to less die. water. Because we need potash. Because we need that potash. I have two wolves living inside of me. Yeah. And they won't stop 69ing. 
I feel like someone's going to get a, one of our fans is going to get that tattooed on their <laughs> arm. Please don't. <laughs> Both local and federal governments are aware of the situation and are actively trying to reduce the harm done. Uh, probably not. In 1997, an agreement was struck with the mining companies and together they created the Salt Laydown Program. The deal is that the companies would replenish the flats by pumping 1.5 million tons of salt-heavy brine onto them each year. A nice broth. Oh, yeah, dude. Just like like soak a turkey in it for three days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably cure it. You probably wouldn't even have to cook it. (laughs) For a short period of time, this method seemed to work. NASA imaging even showed that the flats were growing again. Hey, Hey. that's great. But... In 2004, when the mining leases were handed over to Intrepid Potash, the company lobbied for the budget to be cut significantly. Once again, more salt was being extracted faster than could be naturally accumulated. As a result, newer aerial images show that the flats are shrinking again. This time, even faster than before. All right, tweet at Intrepid Potash and just say, fuck you. They've actually got a really strong uh, social media presence. They do a lot of memes, like potash memes. <laughs> yeah. It's like kind of impressive. I follow them on Instagram. Yeah. They're, they're funny. They're, they're funny. They're funny so as fuck. It's, like, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, like you don't want to be mad at them because they put on such a funny face. Totally, totally. Like, Dude, yeah, tweet at Intrepid Potash and just be like, fuck and you. Now tell them that we want that brine. <laughs> yeah, give us that yeah. brine. Give us the brine. Yeah, tweet at Intrepid Potash. Everybody just tweet at them, we want that brine. <laughs> <laughs> However, the issue of the shrinking flats is finally being treated with the urgency it deserves. The Utah Geological Survey, Intrepid Potash, and the University of Utah, and the Land Speed community, which includes the heads of both the car and motorcycle racing associations, have joined forces to study the problem together. Calling themselves the Save the Salt Foundation, the group is working to raise awareness, money, and ostensibly a whole lot of salt. What do you mean raise awareness? And mu- like, we know what the problem is. They're sucking too much potash out. Yeah. Um, Quit sucking all the potash out. Give us the brine. Intrepid. Give us that brine, Intrepid. You bitch. Robert P. Jornivaz, the CEO of uh, Intrepid Potash, Bob Jornivaz. Fuck you. Give us that brine. Give us that brine. Give us that brine, Bob. Give us the brine. Give us the brine, Bob. The goal of this whole endeavor is simple, to return the salt to the salt flats. However, it's easier said than done. Mother Nature created the Bonneville salt flats over thousands of years. There's not a lot of evidence to support the idea that laying down salt will ultimately work. And even if it does work, it'll take many years to get back to its previous state. Well, yeah, things don't happen overnight. Tens of millions of tons of salt have been extracted from the area, and the most they could possibly replace is 1.5 million tons a year. So let's do it. The only way to realistically make that happen is to completely halt all mining extraction from the region. Hmm. But with intrepid potash racking up record profits, it's difficult to imagine that happening anytime in the near future. Give us the brine, Bob. I really love this format of Nolan giving one-word reactions to every single sentence he reads. I'm mad at the situation. Yeah, this is frustrating, especially for someone who's going to be putting his life yeah. on the line. Yeah, Robert my life on the line. As far as the speed records go, there's still plenty of racing happening on the salt flats today. In fact, with so many different classes and categories of land speed, records are being broken each year. But that's not the only reason the racers come. 
Both professional and amateur drivers also truck out each year to support the important cause. They congregate to share in their deep affection for the unique area and brainstorm ways of saving it. At the end of every season, when they've gotten their fill of the thrill, everyone heads back home to their corner of the planet to hope that when they return the following year, the flats will still be there. Human beings are creatures of context and masters of manipulating it for their needs. Hmm. The Bonneville Salt Flats are a perfect example of this. A beautiful gift delivered from nature that just so happened to have perfect conditions for driving really fast. Yet humans are also creatures of exploitation and frankly have yet to collectively grasp moderation and balance. The Bonneville Salt Flats are sadly a perfect example of this as well. The salt flats have consistently been an important and self-sustaining ecosystem in western Utah for over 15,000 years. It can't be ignored that in the last 100 years, less than 1% of its existence, the flats have changed faster than at any other time in its history. It couldn't be more clear that the culprit of the changes are human activity and interference. This situation feels like a microcosm of the much larger climate change issue. Opportunistic human beings have drained a vital part of the world for short-term material gains without worry of the long-term effects it will have. Mm -hmm. And time is running out. Just like with climate change, it isn't fully known yet if the damage to the salt flats can be reversed. It's far more likely that over the next 10 years, conditions will deteriorate to the point where racing on the flats is no longer possible. And even worse, the degradation of the area could force up to 2 million people to migrate away from the area altogether. But while the ultimate effects of human intervention on the global environment won't be fully felt for years, small parts of our world that we've lived in harmony with will continue to be taken away from us. One bottle of salt flats at a time. <laughs> Fuck, dude. <laughs> wow. Yeah, dude. The earth is a system, and if you mess with things inside of that system, it be- goes out of balance. Give us the brine. Give us the brine. <laughs> we want the brine. Give us that sweet, sweet brine. Give us the brine, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was uh, that was a intriguing look inside that. I can't wait, dude. I'm like stoked. Yeah, yeah. I like. I have this picture of it in my head, and I, it's probably like completely different than what I think. I mean, uh, look it up. It's just it's no. I've, I've seen pictures of it. I just like it looks massive. Yeah. So like hearing that. It's one third of the size it was a hundred years ago. Still feels like it, you know, there's probably like six miles. That yeah. You can, can you imagine like being one of the first like humans to ever see it and just being like, yeah, like come what? upon it and be like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Well, to combat this, I'm going to try to make as much pot ash yeah. on my own as I can. I don't think tonight. you know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the stuff that's in my bubbler. After Go off, after. King. <laughs> All right, we got some fan mail. Uh, this is from uh, a Pascast listener named Joey Plitzner. Joey, Joey Plitz. Plitzner. Joey, Joey Plitz. Plitz. What's up, boy? Brookfield. What's up, what's up, King? What's up, boy? What's Joel? up? <laughs> Brookfield represent. What is up, Pascast crew? My name is Joey Plitzner. Pronounce Plitzner <laughs> from Brookfield, Wisconsin. First, First, I want to say how good of a job you guys are doing. <laughs> and I love this show so much. I got my mom hooked on it, too. Shout out to Joe's mom. Shout out to Joe's mom, young gravy style. <laughs> I just graduated from college with a degree in mechanical engineering nice. and manufacturing nice. engineering. Nice. Nice. We got Congrats, a real Jeremiah dude. Burton on our hands. Burton. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I just got my first job as an engineer and with that, my first car. I listened to the podcast during work and I was hoping you guys could talk about K cars because I'm actually looking into one as a fun little project car. Little, literally. <laughs> Though I doubt I can fit in one since I'm 6'5". Big plits. Big Joe. <laughs> I think it'd be hilarious, though, if a 6'5 dude emerged from a K-car at a car meet. Maybe, like, the first time. Yeah, one time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to live a meme. Yeah, you don't want to... Like, funny cars, you'll regret. I would say, uh, yeah. Yeah. But if you got, like, one of those... Uh, what is that? The the AZ-1, like, the Gullwing? Uh -huh. Yeah. That would be cool. I yeah. like those. That would be cool. And surprisingly, pretty spacious. Yeah. You fit in it, right? Fuck yeah, I do. All day. <laughs> also, I'm active in the subreddit. Let me know if anyone wants yeah. a fours delivery and I can whip something up. Best switches from one car guy to another and one Joe to another. Hell yeah. Gotta trust a Joe from Wisconsin. Brookfield. Uh, we've been under NDA for a long time, and this is a perfect time to announce that Nolan, me, Job, Jer, and Justin are all going to be in a Forza DLC pack. Mm-hmm. Um, you can drive high car, low car, the money pit cars, uh, high truck, low truck, all of our stuff. Um, yeah, an entire Donut Media downloadable pack uh, for Forza Horizons. So that's coming out in August or September. September. And uh, yeah, super stoked. They scanned our faces. Big thanks to our producer, Gavin Kinsel. Our producer, Christina Falski, and the writer this week, Jam James Mastriani. Shout out to Joey Plitz. Shout out to Joey Plitz. Shout out to uh, ASAP Ferg. Shout out to ASAP Rocky. Ty Shout dollars. out to ASAP uh, 12 Ty Dollars. I can't. Uh, I Sid saw. the Dude. I can't. I saw. Clancy. Clancy. Uh, jet Fuel Doesn't Melt Steel Beams. Follow me at James Humphrey. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs>